This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Uh, today, we're starting a brand new series of conversations that we are calling Hallways and Homes. And the simple idea of this podcast is that discipleship happens everywhere. And to help start this conversation, I am joined by Mike Handler and Matt Markins. Um, and if at any point during this, you guys think this sounds like a performance review, because Mike is my boss's boss and Matt's, Matt is my boss's boss's boss. Uh, so this might actually be a performance review, guys. I'm not actually sure if you saw that on your calendars, but uh, thanks for being here, both of you. Absolutely. Always good to be with you. Always good to be with you. So I want to start by kind of diving into how we arrived at this point. So Matt, I want to start with you because there seems to be this tension between the conversation around discipleship between the church and the home. Is, is that tension a real thing? Where does that come from? Yeah, it's a very real thing. Uh, good question, Ross. Uh, I think each one of us, you know, as parents, uh, those of us who, who have children, uh, you know, when you have a child, you bring your child home from the hospital. And honestly, I, I remember being quite terrified. <laughs> you know, those first those yeah. first few days, like, like we told our mother-in-law on the drive home before we left out, no, 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 we're good. We're good. We got home. Three hours later, we called our mother-in-law. Can you please come over? You know, <laughs> so our our span of time and feeling like independent, we got this, was about three hours. That makes sense. And so, you know, clearly it takes it takes a lot of inf relational influences to raise a child, to educate a child, to disciple a kid. But who's responsible for what? You know, it's obviously it's a it's a swirling question. And, and as Christ followers, when we answer that question, we want to start with the scripture, start with what God has to say, not what we think, right? But before before I go there, I want to talk about the modern family ministry movement. When I say modern, I, th I think there's been movements going back a few hundred years. But but when we look at the modern family ministry movement, I, I would say that the modern wave is like started in 2003-ish or, or restarted when George Barna published his book, Transforming Children and Spiritual Champions. If you've not read that, okay. it's a great book. If you're a parent, church leader, whatever, go to Amazon. It's called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. But in that book, which was research of that time that probably came out of the late 2000s or late 90s, early 2000s, George Barna was basically sharing, hey, parents, you're, you're wildly influential over the lives of your children. You're responsible. And that message is true. That message is, of course, it's true. At the same time, that message got championed and echoed in such a way that it was incomplete. Hmm. What do I mean by that? So let, let's imagine, you know, that guy who comes to a carnival and he's doing balloons, you know, <laughs> making balloon animals. Like, like imagine that guy makes a balloon. It's about 24 inches long and it's not been, it's just straight, right? If you could grab one of that balloon, just squeeze it. You're pushing all of the air to one side. Sure. That's kind of what we did in children's ministry. We pushed that message of parents, you're responsible for your kids. Spirit. We pushed it all to the parents. Hmm. And that, that's, that's true. You know, Deuteronomy six, you can't argue with the scriptures. He was saying you're responsible. You're, you are, you have charge over your children. That is a true statement. Amen to that. At the same time, when we look at the gospels and we, we look at the epistles, the book of Acts, we see the church being birthed and forming. What's happening in here is Jesus is saying, he said to the disciples and the apostles, go build my church. And go go be the disciple-making entity in your communities. So parents, you know, if I'm the parent who works for General Motors and I'm, I'm in the factory, or if, I'm, or if I work for State Farm Insurance, or if I'm an executive with, with Dell Computers or whatever, like no matter where, or if I'm a farmer, no matter where I fit it, it, into our society today, 
I'm just one person and I need a broader, I need a more competent entity than my help myself to help me disciple my child. What is that entity? That's the church. The church is responsible for building community of, of saints. It's responsible for equipping the saints, equipping the parents, right? The church is to build that community of loving, caring adults so that every child who's within arm's length of that church, right? Who's in relationship with that church, whether that child's being discipled at home or not, it's the church's job to build a community of saints that's engaging with every child that's a part of that church community. So I may not be getting it at home, but Sue at church, who's 75 and has been doing this for 30 years and she loves kids like crazy. She is connecting with kids so frequently. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Trent, my small group leader, and we could just keep going and going to all these people who, who I'm interacting with as a child at my church, they're having a huge impact on me week after week, after week, year after year, after year, hopefully more parents will pick it up. But if they're not, guess what? When the church has the opportunity to be with them, we, we got to disciple I wanted to start with that tension because I think that's where a lot of people are starting this conversation, right? They, maybe they're a church leader and they feel like, man, if only my parents did this, then my ministry could look like that. And I think it's helpful for people to understand not only that that tension has existed essentially since Deuteronomy 6, but also that um, the tension doesn't have to be where we end the conversation, that by all of us engaging in discipleship, that's how we raise and disciple the church of 2050. Mike, I'm curious for you, you know, even within the context of the discipleship of your own kids, you know, we use the language loving, caring adults. And I would imagine, because I've seen this play out in my own life as a dad, there have been so many times where you've been able to see the power of a loving, caring adult in the discipleship of your own kids that weren't you or your wife. Yeah, I think that comes back to what Matt was saying before in terms of, you know, it does take a community. Um, my kids are between the ages of nine and 14. Our oldest is our 14 year old son. So I'm not talking about it as somebody who who's at the end of the tunnel and has it all figured out and can look a whole way back here. We're in the midst of it right now. Uh, but there are other men who speak into our son's life who might say the same thing that I've said time and time and time again, but because it comes from someone else, it means something different. Um, our church uh, has um, it's set up with the leaders that our son's youth leader has been with him since middle school. And he's going to trek with him, I believe, all the way through high school. And that's that's a that's an amazing benefit of uh, a loving, caring adult keeping in community and walking alongside, you know, my son and the other young men in his freshman uh in his freshman small group. So it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing there. And then it doesn't always have to be, you know, a singular individual. Um, We're friends with the Markins family. So, so Matt and his, his boys who are older than my son have talked, have spoken into my son's life at times. Uh, Other guys who I work alongside or are friends of our family are able to speak into my son's life. And really what it does is it provides a greater kingdom based influence than what I might just have in my preferences and, and my shortcomings and my strengths. Um, it's, it's an amazing, beautiful picture. And it's something that I believe that we lose oftentimes when, when we segment kids off or we do age specific small groups, and we're not going to get into that necessarily in this podcast, but, but what Matt mentioned there at the very end, that intergenerational connection is so, so essential 
for a healthy discipleship, um, especially when it comes to children and young people, because uh, mom and dad are, you have a cool arc in your life. And when you're a mom and a dad, sorry, Ross, to tell you this, because your kids are so young, you will become the epitome of uncool. Uh, but, but other people can speak into your life and have that influence because they're not your mom or your dad. Yeah. Uh, this is not really related, Mike, but you said become uncool. I'm pretty sure my six-year-old already knows that about me. Um, so I might have to have that conversation with you offline about what I should do about that. But Hey, hey Ross. Yeah. We know. Oh no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So not only you guys, both parents, but you guys are both experts in this. And I think often there is that having discipleship happens everywhere works. How do we know that um, not confining child discipleship to a building is actually what leads to a lifelong faith? Well, I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone's asking the question, Hey, are we being formed? Is the world forming us? You know, like we all know that there's a formation process happening every day. Um, the, the, someone said recently that we question the Christian faith far more than we question this broader dominant secular culture that we're all swallowed up in 24 seven, right? We, we don't question, we have, we, we embrace and accept so many assumptions based on political views or economical views or, or the, 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 the economic engine that we all live in, we, we could just keep going and going. Um, the advertisements around us, we don't question them far as often as we do the veracity of the Christian faith. Even those of us who are Christians, we're just, we live in this culture of we're, we're double checking. Is this true? Is it real? Right? So we're being formed uh, by the culture around us every day. Um, so we just have such an opportunity to kind of pause and say, well, what is it that the church does that forms children? What is it that we as Christians, when I say the church, I mean church home, the the global effort of the church and the home. What is it that we do that forms our children in the image of Jesus as a disciple, as what we would say, a resilient disciple or resilient child disciple? And what has really encouraged Mike and I, what's encouraged our our leadership and our organization, um, is just this simple language of disciples make disciples. Like, let's think about that passage in Matthew 28 that we call the Great Commission. Jesus, I always imagine him on a hill, right? And he's talking to his, this smaller group, and, and, and he's saying to them, is he saying to them, go and do literature distribution. Go pass out the Bible. Just get the Bible in everyone's hands if you can just do that. No, he said, go and make disciples. Scrolls and the scriptures. You've seen all of this. You've seen how, you've seen how I've taught. I want you to go and do do that. That's that's a whole life system of living, of being and discipling others. That's a very relational um, system that Jesus was, is commissioning all of us to go and do. So, as we, what encourages me, Ross, is um, that I think there's plenty of evidence to show that what Jesus was saying actually works when when we take the time to actually evaluate what is discipleship and. So if I can build a community around them inside and outside of the church walls, I'm giving my children the opportunity to be formed by other things beyond what's on YouTube, what's on TikTok, what's on Twitter, what's on cable TV, and so on and so on. So uh, discipleship is relational. Discipleship is community-based. It's a web. It does involve the scriptures. It does involve Bible teaching, Bible memorization, so on and so forth. 
but the Bible tends to move through the conduit of people, right? Yeah. The person who teaches my child, who connects with my child, who encourages my, my son or my daughter. That's what it really encourages me, Ross. That's great, man. I'd like to add to that too. I mean, I think we look at evidence in the scripture, you know, uh, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, Philip in the Ethiopian unit, right? Like he's the, this Ethiopian officials reading a passage from, I believe Isaiah and Philip has to, you know, he asked Philip for the meaning of it, the context of it, like, tell me what this means. So the way that we pass, the most effective way to pass on faith is conversation. Uh, conversation, I think would probably be if we were trying to rhyme here, conversation would lead to transformation. And um, the thing about discipleship that I think is so perhaps um, counter to our culture is the fact that it's slow. Mm. It's, it's just slow and it just takes forever. Uh, all of us have kids and we know that if discipleship were purely behavior, behavior modification, you could, you know, discipline your way there. And there is a part of discipleship that involves discipline to be sure. But what I'm saying here is discipline in terms of like grounding or denying reward or spanking or whatever your, you know, flavor of the month might be for discipline. However, uh, because it's more than just behavior modification, it's lifestyle transformation. It's a, um, it's a renewing of, uh, and an ordering of our affections and our loves in order to shape our identity. It is a slow, slow process. And I think even the verbs that are used within scripture to describe discipleship, I mean, we mentioned Deuteronomy six, it doesn't say when you, when you hurry from one thing to another, it's when you walk, yeah. when you lie down, when you get there, these are like slower activities. That's good. Uh, even Jesus, in terms of walking with his disciples, didn't take them and, and do some sort of, you know, six hour seminar over here or, you know, this kind of, you know, speed read through the, this type of thing. No, he they were walking and eating together and getting into boats together to go across. sea. like it was it's a slow going process. And I think where we are so just talking about the waters we're swimming in, we're so addicted to speed. Yes. Everything needs to be fast on my pace on demand. And yet discipleship is just slow and methodical and it's a walk. And it's not even, it's not even like a run or a marathon. I mean, the thing's a walk and um, while there's beauty to that, there's also frustration. It's very countercultural. Uh, to the world in which we live. But I think what's also true is when people get this right, like I think, I think we feel it because it's so countercultural. Like when we are able to engage, I know, you know, in healthy discipleship with my own kids, like it feels like some of that holy ground kind of moments. And that in this current moment, that's so enhanced because everything else about them in their lives in my life is speed and get out the door and get to school. And why is dad running late to school uh, again? Um, what I do want to kind of bring us to next is more of into the context of this current moment, right? Like the, you guys have talked about the community that's required for child discipleship. You've talked about 
loving, caring adults in the, the many different roles that people can play within the context of child discipleship. Folks who are listening to this, most of them are parents or grandparents or an invest in the life of a kid through their family. And I'm curious whether it's just from your place of expertise or through your personal life, how do you begin to articulate what the biggest need is for a parent in this current moment for child discipleship? You know, if you are, if you are a church leader listening to this and you're trying to be like, what do my parents need right now? How do you begin to answer that question? I, w- I would go back to what I was saying, saying earlier about, I don't think we fully understand exactly how much the dominant culture is forming us and how much everything we do is tied to that. When Mike, let's go back to what Mike just said, which is so good and so right. Discipleship is slow and it's a lifetime effort. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. The church has a child discipleship crisis. Join us in Nashville or online at the Child Discipleship Forum on September 22nd and 23rd, presented by Awana. At the Child Discipleship Forum, you'll hear from leading voices on culture, children, and local church ministry. Like-minded speakers include John Mark Comer, Rebecca McLaughlin, Andy Crouch, and many, many more. At the forum, you'll gain strategies and resources from the Barna Group's largest children's ministry research project in over two decades and will leave prepared to disciple kids in this changing culture. Be sure to secure your seat now at childdiscipleshipforum.com to take advantage of discounted pricing. We're praying for you as you invest in child discipleship and the future of the church. That's the case. We we know that does not jive with our world. Our world is go go go. We got violin on Tuesday night. We got travel basketball on Thursday night. We got a game on Friday night. We get boom 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 boom. boom. Discipleship. By the way, I'm not making a judgment call on all of that, but I, I do think knowing that discipleship is intentional and it's slow, it should cause us to ask harder questions about the environment that we're in. I think I think the big challenge is not painting a picture of discipleship that's so beautiful that it causes parents to say, yes, that's what I want. The harder challenge is painting a picture of everything that we're currently attached to that we need to let go of. Oh, wow. That is the challenge that I think we have before us. It's It's the felt need of our culture, but it's not the prescriptive need of followers of Jesus necessarily. And it's not to say that there's anything inherently wrong with anything Matt brought up, right? I mean, there's nothing evil about violin or baseball or soccer. Like there's nothing inherently evil about these things. Uh, but, but when they begin to cloud or take our affections away from what should be our first priority, that's when they start to um, get in the way, if you will. So how do people who are listening to this begin to understand that in themselves? Right, Matt, if you're articulating that as that, that is the bigger question, right? How do we begin to untangle ourselves from that culture? Because like, you know, we all fall short. We're all not, we're, you know, this is a lifeline process. This is a slow process, but what does detaching from the busyness culture? Cause it doesn't mean 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't mean dropping violin and baseball and all these other things and only doing church activities. That's not what we're advocating for at all. But mm-hmm. you're advocating for a posture shift. You're advocating for a, a rewiring. What, what does that process look like? Well, going back to that phrase, disciples make disciples, people make disciples, right? Uh, if I, if we, if this were a visual podcast, I, I would toss up a slide, but I can't do that. So in your mind, as you're listening in the whiteboard of your mind, draw a stick figure of, of a child, your child, one of your children in the center, and then draw an oval around your child, uh, circle, oval, whatever. So that circle represents uh, the opportunities that you have to put other people around your child, engage in their life. So, so in your mind, put an X and then another X. So put maybe half a dozen or 10 X's. And each one of those X's as you go around the oval represents another person, right? So I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as my, as my example. I'll use my youngest child, Hudson, who's still living at home. So Hudson's in the middle of my, of my oval, my circle, there's only so much I as his parent can bring to him. I can bring a lot. I bring a lot of weekly counsel and friendship and laughter, interaction. We talk about the scriptures. We talk about podcasts and sermons we're listening to together, books we're reading. So I, I do bring a lot to that relationship, but I'm still one person. I'm still limited. And he's, his ears are open to what other people have to say. His heart is open to, to other loves, right? So, But if I surround him in that circle with Mike, with Steve, with our, our friend Katie uh, outside of our family, if I surround him with with Dean and Rob and Ron and Kevin, I, I notice I'm just I'm putting more people around him. And as a dad, as a parent, as we journey through life from the time he was just born to now, if I'm making sure those people around that circle are having intersections and engagements with him, just last week, I'll add another name to that circle, Ed. I, Hudson and I were sitting across the table from Ed over breakfast. And I said to Ed, Ed, tell Hudson, share with Hudson, why is it that you've remained a Christ father? Of, of all the worldviews out there, you could have walked away. You could have gone with other worldviews. Why, why follow Jesus? And Ed slowly, like Mike said earlier, Ed slowly told Hudson his story. And at one point, Ed's got tears coming down his cheeks. And he's telling Hudson, I cannot imagine anything being more satisfying than, than following Jesus. Now, as a parent, certainly memorize the Bible together, get your child in a Awana ministry, get your child in a local church, in a children's ministry. But outside of those opportunities, your kids have a lot of time. We've got to get more people intentionally engaged in the lives of our children, having faith conversations, having all kinds of conversations, helping our kids navigate the world we live in. I don't mean to keep I don't mean to keep hammering on this one as one little idea, but every time my kid, not every time, many times, most times, when my kids were around other adults that I want them to kind of look up to or that are other disciples, I would try to think of a question like, and I, sometimes I would do it proactively, I would do it well in advance, or I might think of it on the spot even. But I just like I did with Ed, do that, make that a lifestyle. When your kids are around other, and you're like, oh, this guy. I love this gal. I love this guy. They're a really mature Christian. Boy, I hope my kids grow up to be like them. Think of a question you can ask them so that you're, and, and have and at, have them tell the child the answer. Like, yeah. you know, if my child's name is, is Brittany, like, hey, hey, Cindy, tell Brittany about that time when you were on that mission trip and fill in the blank. Like, 
and get that, that way my child knows, hey, my dad's asking this adult a question they want the answer to me. I'm important in this conversation. And they're just getting these loving, caring adults who are sharing their faith with them in a variety of moments. If you do that a hundred times from zero to 18, that's a hundred faith conversations with the with maybe 40 different adults over the course of 18 years. That's gonna that's gonna make a difference. Totally. Yeah. I think the other thing too that's encouraging is that God wants this to happen. You know, like at Awana, we often talk about, you know, God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Uh, we have a responsibility to make disciples, but I would also, I think we need to also recognize that God wants this to happen. Amen. Like he's going to bring people into your life, into your kid's life, into your student's life, whoever, whoever it might be. He's going to bring people into their life. Uh, and your job as the parent or the loving, caring adult or whatever it is, is to just be the connector at times for those conversations. Matt, Matt doesn't get in there and try to expound because he's asked me these questions in front of Hudson. He doesn't get in there and try to expound. No, Mike, unpack this thing for a little bit more. He, he doesn't do that. He allows Hudson and I to have a conversation that he just simply sets up and says, you know, hey, Mike, why don't you tell Hudson this? Or why don't you tell him about this? And it's just like, man, that facilitation, that's kind of the secret sauce, if you will, at times. It's just being able to set up the conversation. Is it going to go always the way that you want? No. I know Matt well enough to know that there have been people in some of his son's, in his son's conversations at times that didn't do what he wanted them to do. We've talked about this. It's like, oh, you had such an in route to talk about this whole thing. You didn't go down that way. Mm-hmm. However, uh, God and his sovereignty still wants this to happen. And I'll tell you, I mean, being somebody who has shared with both of Matt's sons parts of my faith journey, um, there's something validating about that too, as the one who's sharing. Yeah. Uh, don't think it's going to be weird. If you're, if you're, th- if you're hearing this and you think, man, I'm more maybe of an introvert or whatever it might be, or I don't want to really ask, you know, my brother-in-law to talk to my kid about the, like, it's not going to be weird. Uh, you know, God wants this to happen and the Holy spirit's present in all these interactions. So uh, just set it up the right way. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I would highlight there too, is it, it goes after a central problem we discuss a lot on this podcast where it makes the child, and Matt, you said this, it validates the child's experience as an important part of this conversation. You know, you're not treating your kids with a junior version of the Holy Spirit, as we've said several times before. Um, where I want to land things is, you know, we all have the privilege of working at Awana. And I think if people are still listening to this, it's important to communicate where Awana comes into this conversation as an organization and how it lines up with all of the things that the two of you have been communicating. So, you know, I think the way that I would ask this question, you know, Matt, to start with you as CEO, Awana has this 72-year history of being about child discipleship, but we have not always used the language like resilient. And what I hear from every single person that I talk to at Awana is we're about child discipleship. We're the program stuff, all of these other components are not as important as child discipleship. But how do you begin to communicate what Awana offers to a church um, to fuel the child discipleship that we've been talking about? Well, I, I'm very grateful that we have some pretty clearly articulated vision and mission statements. And, and if you're maybe new to our ministry, 
I'll just share those right now. The vision of Awana is that all children and youth throughout the world would come to know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I, when I first heard that as a, in my 30s, I'm just going to show my simple nature. I thought that's a bit too audacious. Like every child, you know, that that's crazy, <laughs> but that's the posture of Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is asking people is inviting people come to me. I'm the best thing you're ever going to find. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. He wants children to come to him and he wants every child to come to him. And so our posture should be no different. So we want to invite children everywhere to come to know, love, and serve Jesus. So how do we do that? It's our mission statement. The mission of Awana uh, is to equip leaders to reach kids with the gospel and to engage them in lifelong discipleship. And so we packaged how we do that philosophically in a book called Resilient. So if you're new to our ministry and say, hey, I, I want to I learn more about Awana, you can go to Amazon or go to awana.org. And you can purchase the book Resilient. The subtitle is Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. Mike and I were a part of co-writing that together with two other writers and authors. And then the third part of the book, we get into the three primary factors that help uh, disciple a child. And we call those three primary factors belong, believe, become, or relationships, scripture engagement, uh, and experiences and practices. And so uh, those three simple words belong, believe, become as a parent. If I'm a parent and I want to, or, or a church, and I want to know more about Awana, it's about discipling kids. And the gospels teach us that that's how Jesus disciple. He was highly relational, deeply scriptural, truly experiential. Uh, that's belong, believe, become. Um, but also the research validates it. We just did a, a massive research project with the Barna group where we got continued further validation it's, it's about our sixth or seventh substantial research project we've ever uh, accomplished in the last decade. And so we've got a lot to back it up research-wise. We've got a lot to back it up scripture-wise. And of course, other organizations have done research that supports it as well. So that's philosophically what we do. So if the vision is every child everywhere, if the mission is to equip leaders to reach kids, if the philosophy of how to do that is belong, believe, become, then what we do, Ross, is we create weekly and regular opportunities for churches, whether that's midweek or that's weekend, or you need to equip your parents to be able to connect with their kids each day or each week. That's what we do. So we, we've got these weekly opportunities, midweek, weekend, and parents. And the cool part is we do it in 130 countries around the world. Well said. I think it's important for people, especially those who are still listening, to understand that not only are our hearts here, but that the actions of this ministry land here. Um, Mike, I want to leave last word to you, which is essentially, you know, and you wrote about this in the book Resilient that Matt was just speaking to, but what does this look like when we get this right? Yeah, quite simply, it looks like our kids have lasting faith. It looks like developing a generation of children who follow Jesus no matter what. Um, you know, our society uh, is espousing values different from those within the scriptures, uh, values of um, hyper autonomy, just being all about me, me first, me only. Uh, on the surface, that's that that doesn't seem maybe all that different. It's it's kind of like uh, the telling a fish it's swimming in water. Right. It's just like, man, that's just who the society is in some regard. However, um, it is antithetical to the scriptures and what we believe is the truth and the reality of what God's word is. So when we do this, this slow walk 
with the children in our lives, whether our own or our grandkids, nieces, nephews, uh, kids in our church or our community, um, what we can expect is that um, we can have faithfulness that would hopefully lead to lasting faith. And that lasting faith uh, should help guide a generation of children to be the leaders of our churches and communities of our culture well into the future. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make Resilient Disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith, young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash lasting faith today. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.